go home and I wouldn't even have to preach. But we're not going to do that. Amen. We're going to stay right here. Turn the monitors up, would you? Just as much as uh, you can do. I'm glad to see you tonight. Stand up with me, would you? All over the place. And uh, it's always such an honor. Give me a little bit more. I just got back from Tennessee, preaching in Tennessee and speaking in Tennessee, and then I was in New York City, and uh, then back here, and some of you I haven't seen. You know, we're, we're going through the book of Hebrews on Tuesday night, but some of you I haven't seen since before uh, the first of the year when I was in India, and you prayed for me, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for your prayers, and many of you partnered with us, and you helped me go to India. You know, I was there five weeks, and in five weeks, we saw over 10,000 people come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Unbelievable. And we saw hundreds of people healed, and people set free, Hindus and Muslims, and it was just such a powerful trip. The Lord is alive and moving by His Spirit all over the world. And don't ever let anybody tell you that, that God's dead. You know, sometimes we read the newspaper and it's easy to get the idea that uh, the Lord has forsaken us or that the Lord is withdrawn from us or some people believe that God's dead. Stephen Hawking died two days ago and he said there is no God well, he's a believer now. Amen. And the Lord's not dead. He's not even sick. Amen. He's alive. And he's at work. And he's at work in this place. God wants to do something very, very powerful in this place tonight. I'd like for you to bow your head and close your eyes all over the place. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. How many of you say, Scott, I really need... A touch from God. I need a touch from God tonight. I need the Lord to speak to me. I need the Lord's presence in my life. I'm going through a difficult time. Some of you might not even know the Lord. You're not even really sure that if your heart stopped beating, if you went out into eternity tonight, you're not really sure that you really know Jesus. You need to know the Lord. I'm praying that God will release a spirit of repentance and faith in this place. The news has been filled the last couple of weeks with tragedy. Whether it's the death of young people or a bridge in Florida today that collapsed. Did you see that? People who were just on their way to work, they never made it home or whether it's a fallen preacher, or whether it's a world on the edge of what could become a nuclear holocaust. We need God. Come on, church. Amen. Lift up both hands in the air and just begin to say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord, like we've never needed you before in our culture. God, we need you. Come on, church. Holy Spirit of God, come in this place and move powerfully. I pray that you would break a hard heart tonight. 
Lord, I pray someone would find themselves on their knees at this altar, crying out to God in repentance. Father, I pray no one would leave this place tonight having crossed the barrier of no return. I pray no one in this building tonight would commit the unpardonable sin. Lord, there's somebody here tonight, they're going to hear the gospel and feel the power of the Holy Spirit and have one last chance to get right with God before it's all over. And I pray tonight that you would save the soul that's nearest hell. God, move in this place. Bring a revival. God, we need revival in America. Lord, more than we need a new economic policy, we need revival. God, more than we need anything else, we need revival. And Father, I pray you do something in this house tonight. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for an empty tomb that says death does not have the final word. And we thank you that one day Jesus Christ is going to split the skies. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. And you may be seated. And I almost forgot to uh, give you some good news today. I, as of today, I am a grandpa. Amen. Matter of fact, look at that little baby. There's Gina. She was going to be here tonight, and when Sarah went into labor, she said, I'm out of here. Amen. And uh, that's little Teddy. Teddy Wayne Schaefer. That's my daughter, Sarah. And we welcomed our first little grandbaby. How many of you have grandkids? Amen. Well, I'm in your club now. And I'm excited about it. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk to you about a man who tried to repent and couldn't. Do you know there comes a time in the life of every person who winds up in hell where they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for the very last time? Now, I don't believe that God wants anybody to go to hell. Matter of fact, God did not make hell for people. The Bible says God made hell for the devil and his angels. And yet there's a hell. If Jesus Christ was right in what he said, then there exists tonight an eternal hell. And I know that's not popular. I know you don't find a lot of preachers that want to talk about hell. As a matter of fact, it seems like we have a nation full of men who have compromised the gospel. We have a nation full of men who are afraid to tell the truth about what the Bible says. But if I'm going to be true to God and true to the Bible and true to Jesus, then I want to tell you that for some of you in this room tonight, this might be the final opportunity that you have to turn around and give your heart to Jesus. Do you know 86 people die every minute? 5,000 people die every hour. 122,000 people die every day. Every time I snap my fingers, somebody just went out into eternity. And there was a man in the Bible by the name of Esau. 
And Esau made one final decision that forever sealed his fate. And I want you to see it in the Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. When's the last time you heard the word holiness in church? You know, we used to hear about it all the time. The Wesleyan holiness movement. The early days of Pentecostalism. They called them holy rollers. Some of you grew up in Pentecost. And it's been a long time since we've heard talk in the American church about holiness. It seems like people feel like and believe today that you can live like hell and go to heaven when you die. But nothing could be further from the truth. Matter of fact, the Bible says pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking earnestly, looking carefully, lest anyone, look at this, fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, godless person, like Esau, who for one morsel of food, a bowl of beans, sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for, what's that next word? Repentance. Say it out loud. Repentance. Repentance is the missing word in the pulpit in America today. What does it mean to repent? The Bible said Esau found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now there's one message that runs like a thread throughout the fabric of the entire biblical narrative and it is the message of repentance. Whether it was Noah, that great preacher of righteousness who God warned, a flood of judgment is coming, a deluge is going to destroy this planet. And God said, I want you to build an ark so that you and your family can be saved and I want you to begin to preach to your generation a message of repentance. Matter of fact, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness and that old man for 120 years stood and preached repentance. He told the people, he warned them about the judgment of God that was coming and they laughed at him and they mocked him and they scoffed at him until someone fell a, felt a drop of rain. And for the first time, they looked up and water began to fall from the heavens. And they sprinted to the ark, but it was too late. There comes a time, listen, when it's too late. It's too late. The prophets of God, Jeremiah, the Bible calls him a weeping prophet. You know what his message was? Repent. Get right with God. Isaiah, who saw the glory of God and cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He repented. And then he saw the people and their need for repentance. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm living in a culture, in a society of people with unclean lips. I went to Starbucks. I was there early this morning. I go there and get my Christian crack. Amen. I was sitting there at Starbucks. A man came and sat down by me, and he began to take God's name in vain. Almost every other word 
he was asking God to damn this and God to damn that. I said, sir, I want to tell you something. Every time you ask God to damn something, that's a prayer. And one day God's going to answer that prayer and it's going to be you that he damns if you don't repent. Well, he finished his coffee and left. Amen. All of the minor prophets had a major message. And that major message was repent. Matter of fact, the very last words of the Old Testament from the prophet Malachi is a warning to God's people to repent. And then when you open up the pages of the New Testament, after 400 years of silence, what's the very first message that you hear? It's from John the Baptist. And he comes in the wilderness and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, very first message, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus began to preach repent. And he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As a matter of fact, the very last message of Jesus in the book of Revelation to six out of seven churches, he warned them and said, repent. If you don't repent, he said to his own people, if you don't repent, you're going to face my judgment. And then on the day of Pentecost, when Peter, that big fisherman, stood up and preached with boldness, he preached the gospel, what God had done in Christ, and the people's hearts were pricked, and they cried out, what must we do? And you remember what Peter said? He said, repent. That's what you're supposed to do, repent. And then Paul on the Areopagus overlooking the Agora, the, Ar the, the marketplace on top of Mars Hill where all the intelligentsia, all the brilliant philosophers would come together and they would talk about the events and try to make sense out of the world just like people today. They're trying to make sense out of this crazy world. And there is no sense without Jesus Christ because He's the answer. And when Paul stood up on the philosopher's mound and they began to question him about who is this Jesus and what do you mean by resurrection? He said, God has appointed all men, God has commanded all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the whole world by that man whom he raised from the dead. And the call of the Bible is for repentance. Now what does it mean to repent, because I'm looking at people right now that need to repent. There are things in your life and God has dealt with you about it. God has spoken to you about it. God has convicted you about it. And there was a time when your conscience was so sensitive, anytime you went near that, you were pricked to the heart and cut to the heart. Let me tell you something. We read about a preacher this past week right here in this area who has disgraced himself disgraced his family who has gone before the church and apologized with brokenness and I prayed I pray that God will help that man be restored but let me tell you something about sin in the life of a Christian nobody has a blowout we all have a slow leak there were times in the life of that man when God spoke to him and God convicted him and God said I want you to turn from that and instead of being obedient to God, his heart was hard and it grew harder and harder and harder. And let me tell you something about the law of God, my friend. You don't break God's law. God's law breaks you. You can get up on top of this roof and say, I don't believe in the law of gravity and jump off. You don't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity breaks you. Amen? It breaks you. 
And you can't sow your wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. It just don't work that way. All your chickens eventually come home to roost. Amen. There are people in this room, God's calling you to repent. Some of you are involved in stuff. I was in a big Baptist church preaching not long ago in Greenville, Texas. A church of almost 2,000 people. And I was preaching on a Sunday night. The place was packed out. God spoke to my heart, gave me a prophetic word for that church. And I said, there's someone in this church who is committing adultery. And you don't think anybody knows about it and you're trying to cover it up, but God sees it and this is your final opportunity to repent. And if you don't do it, everybody in town is going to know your business. And two weeks later, the pastor got up in front of the church. It was on the local news and in the papers and confessed to an ongoing affair with a woman in the church, and now the church is decimated. It has split the church. The church is half the size that it used to be. I'm telling you, my friend, listen to me. You don't play around with sin and get away with it. Come on, amen. Come on, church. My God, this is the way every preacher used to preach, and some of you are shocked that I'd be saying this kind of stuff. Because you're used to smooth-talking little preacherettes who dress like, who, who drive Corvettes and watch TV sets and dress like majorettes while they preach little sermonettes to Christianettes who smoke cigarettes and watch TV sets. Amen? I mean, we need some old-fashioned Holy Ghost men of God. We don't know right from wrong anymore. We don't blush anymore. Some of you watch things, you're going to go home tonight after this service and turn your television set on to HBO, Hell's Box Office. And you're going to watch somebody get into bed naked with somebody that they're not married to in real life or on pretend life. And you're going to enjoy your sin having just walked out of church. They did some surveys not long ago. You know what they found out? That the morality inside of the church is really not a lot different from the morality outside of the church. That some of you have been beating your wife. If you want to beat on somebody, why don't you meet me right out here after this service, right, after, right out here. Try beating on me for a while. Some of you involved in this room are involved in pornography. Some of you in this room tonight are having an affair. Right here in the church, you say, well, is it okay? No, it's not okay. Be careful. Unless you fail, you fall short of the grace of God. Let me tell you something, my friend. God loves you. God gave His Son to die for you. Jesus shed His blood for you. He rose from the dead. He's alive. But if you don't repent, you're going to die and go straight to hell. And it won't be God's fault. It'll be your fault. Now, what does it mean to repent? Well, it's not religion. See, some people have the idea that repentance means that you're religious. I told you about the man that I met this morning that kept taking God's name in vain until I just couldn't stand it anymore. Well, I, I didn't tell you about it. Is that all the while he was talking about the church that he went to with a friend of his. Did you like church Sunday? And then he'd talk for a while. Then he'd take God's name in vain. 
So here's a man who goes to church and thinks that because he's a religious man and he goes to church and he's probably been baptized and probably says he believes the Bible, and yet out of one mouth, side of his mouth, he's talking about God and church, and the other side of his mouth, he's dropping F-bombs and taking God's name in vain. The Bible says that a tree cannot bear both kinds of fruit. Amen. And by their fruit, you'll know them. You say, Scott, you're sounding real judgmental. Well, I'm not a judge, but God has told me to be a fruit inspector. Amen. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. It's not enough to be religious. I could spit in hell right now and hit a Baptist right on the head. Hell's going to be full of Methodists. Hell's going to be full of Presbyterians. I could throw a pitchfork in hell and hit a Pentecostal. Hell's going to be full of Lutherans and Presbyterians and Episcopalians. It's not the church of Christ that saves you. It's the Christ of the church who saves you. And when he saves you, you know it. Come on, you know it. (laughs) Repentance is not being religious. Hell is full of religious people. Matter of fact, religious people put Jesus on the cross. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life go to church every single Sunday. And they don't know Jesus. They're lost. And one day they're going to go to hell. I tell you, the only thing worse than dying and going to hell knowing that you were going to go to hell is going to hell thinking that you were going to go to heaven because some preacher failed to mention that without repentance, there's no salvation. Without holiness, no one will see God. And now we have a sloppy, agape, greasy, grace kind of message that's been preached for a generation that says you can go to heaven without holiness, that you can know Jesus without repentance, and nothing could be further from the truth. But repentance is not religion, and repentance is not trying to reform your life. You've met people that have tried to change themselves. I talked to a lady not long ago. I said, are you saved? And she said, well, I'm trying to be saved. She said, I'm working on it really hard. And she said, I'm about 99% saved. And I said, well, you're about 100% lost. (laughs) She said, well, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. I said, honey, you need a whole new tree. Amen. Only God can give you that. And so I'm not talking about trying to reform your life or trying to make New Year's resolutions are trying to become a better person. Listen, Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people come alive. Amen. So repentance is not trying to reform your life. And repentance is not feeling badly, remorseful about things that you've done in the past. Now, all of us have made mistakes. Amen. And most people feel badly about things that they've done. Esau felt terrible about selling his birthright. Listen, that which God had given him, he sold it because he was a man who was driven, you better listen to me, he was a man who was driven by his impulses. He had no filter. He had no ability to control what came out of his mouth or what ran through his mind or where his action, where his thoughts and his words would take him. He couldn't control his actions. The Bible says he was a profane man and a fornicator. 
And yet I'm sure he believed in God. I'm sure because he was raised in a home that believed in the Lord. And I'm sure that every time he sinned, there was a part of him that felt badly about it. He felt remorseful about the choices that he had made. I knew a young man named Jeff. When Jeff was 15 years old, he said God had called him to the ministry. And Jeff began to travel with me in the summer. But I always knew that something was not quite right about Jeff because when the rest of the team was passing out tracts and witnessing, Jeff would always be flirting with some girl over in the corner in the revival. Jeff would always be telling off-color jokes. And as he got into his late teens and then his early 20s, he said God had called him in the ministry, but he always thought about money all the time. And he's always lying. We caught him in lies all the time. He was living a duplicitous life. And Jeff finally got mad at me because I said, Brother, you're going to have to toe the line if you're going to be on our staff and you're going to have to walk with God and be a man of God. This is not about seeing how much money you can make in the ministry. So he got mad and he took his wife and four kids and they moved to Cincinnati Ohio and Jeff and his wife started a church and about a year later he moved back to the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex and his wife Trin called me one day and said Scott could you please come talk with Jeff he's out of his mind he's like a completely different person he's denying God he cusses all the time he takes God's name in vain he's been a verbally abusive to me it's like he's crazy and sure enough he was going crazy because Jeff had visited a prostitute, contracted the HIV virus, sexually transmitted diseases, and he had syphilis. And I buried Jeff Flowers when he was 35 years old. He died. A young man who had such promise, who felt so remorseful. And there was a man in the Bible named Judas. Do you remember him? He kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. The Bible says after he sold out, he sold Jesus out, just like some of you do. You're at church right now, but when you get around another crowd, another crowd, and they take God's name in vain and tell some filthy joke, you laugh with them because you're a coward. You won't stand up for God. You got a spine made out of macaroni. And you won't stand up and say, I want to tell you, that's wrong. Don't ever use that kind of language again in my presence or our friendships. You don't have the courage to stand up for Jesus Christ. And that's the way Judas was. He sold Jesus out. He betrayed Jesus. And after it had dawned on him what he did, the Bible says in Matthew 27 that he felt badly. He tried to give the money back. He felt remorseful. He said, I wish I hadn't have done that. I know that was wrong. But it was a worldly sorrow that led to death. And he went out and killed himself. He hung himself because he couldn't face his own guilt. You see, repentance is not feeling remorseful. It's not trying to turn over a new leaf and reform your life. It's not just being religious. It's not just recognizing that we're all sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners. And you can't come to Jesus without acknowledging the fact that you need God. Somebody said you can't get saved unless you get lost first. You've got to realize you're lost. But I think all of us recognize we're sinners. Amen. How many sinners in the building? Amen. I mean, we're all sinners. But look at me. Did you know that's not repentance? It's not enough just to recognize 
that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of the glory of God because everybody knows that. The Bible says about Judas, he knew that he had sinned and betrayed innocent blood and he felt badly about it, but that didn't lead him to repentance. Well, what does it mean to repent? And what was Jesus talking about when he said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish? What did he mean? What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. You know what repentance is? It's a 180. Repentance is a U-turn. Repentance is saying, I'm going this way. I'm like Esau, or I'm like my friend Jeff, or I'm like Judas, and I'm going the wrong way. I know about God, and I know I'm going the wrong way, and I feel badly about it, but that's not enough. Now, I'm going to turn. Listen to me. I'm going to turn around. That means I'm going to lay down my sin. And I'm going to lay down, Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. You know what he was saying? He was saying you have to deny yourself. You see, let me tell you something. Listen to me. The way to heaven is narrow. The gate is narrow. Jesus said, few there be that find it. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And I preached messages in your name. And I was a deacon. And I did all these things. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now I want to tell you what the problem is. The problem with most people who claim the name of Jesus in America. Let me tell you something. If everybody in America that claimed the name of Jesus was really saved, our whole culture would be different than it is right now. Come on, amen. I worked for Dr. W.A. Criswell. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. We had 30,000 members at our church in the mid-80s when I worked for him. You know what he told me one time in a private conversation? He said, Scott, When I die and go to heaven, if half of the members of this church make it to heaven, he said, I'll be shocked. He was saying, half my church is lost. They come to church. They hear sermons. They stand up and sing songs. But their heart's never been changed. There's never been repentance. You see, when someone repents, their whole life changes. Come on, amen. They talk differently. They have a different heart. They want to love other people. They forgive. Now I'm not saying, listen, I'm not talking about being perfect. There's nobody perfect. But our heart changes. And the Christian life begins with repentance and it continues in repentance. I repent every day. I always am changing my mind. My wife helps me, amen. You need to get right. You know, how I know, I know, you know how I know I'm saved? Because I cannot sin and get away with it. If you can sin and get away with it and it doesn't bother you and somebody tries to confront you with it and you get angry and defensive and you try to make an excuse, there's a chance you're probably not even saved. Because someone who's really saved is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when they do wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts them. 
And they say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be a liar anymore. I don't want to be a racist anymore. I don't want to love money anymore. I don't want to be rude anymore. I don't want to be self-centered anymore. I don't want to love the things of this world anymore. I don't want to look at that junk anymore. I don't want to be little people. I don't want to be abusive to my wife. God, I'm sorry. And I'm so sorry that I want you to change me. I give you permission to change everything in my life that is not like Jesus. Amen. Come on, somebody. And that's holiness. It is the process of becoming less and less like you and more and more like Jesus. And the older you get, let me tell you something. I'm 56 now. I'm still young, amen. But I'm not as young as I used to be. And neither are you. And I want to tell you what happens in life. The older you get and the more of life you experience, listen to me, the trials and the tragedies that none of us are immune to, they either make you a better person or they make you a bitter person. And you know what happened to Esau? He got bitter. He got bitter. He looked back and said, look at what it could have been mine. But my brother got it. But that was part of God's plan. And instead of humbling himself and saying, God, it's not his fault and it's not your fault, it's my fault. He got bitter and he got hard and he got angry and he got sour and he got full of hatred. And he died one day and he's in hell right now. Because he never repented. And God is speaking to hearts. I want every person in this room to bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Please turn this monitor up just a little bit. Just turn it up till it turns red. Amen. Help me out. Everybody in this room, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many are Christians? You know you're saved. But you know that there are things in your life that are not right. And God's been speaking to you about it. And God's giving you an opportunity. Some of you have played with it. My God, what a tragedy to pick up the newspaper and hear about another pastor supposed to be a man of God who was involved in things that are so self-destructive and I love him. I've known him for over 30 years. I love him. His daughter was a member of my church. I've preached many times. You know, the sad thing is he never thought that would ever happen. Never thought that he would be the blunt of jokes. And that lost people would say, see, there's another one of those hypocritical preachers. I'm not going to go to church. Look at this. And now it seems like it happens every week. But I want to tell you what happened to that man, the same thing that's happened to some of you in this room. God has convicted him, or God has convicted you, and instead of being quick to repent, you made an excuse. You said, it's not that bad. You said, everybody else is doing it. God loves me, it's no problem. Let me tell you something about sin. It'll fascinate you, and then it'll assassinate you. It'll thrill you and then kill you. 
sin will take you further than you ever thought you'd go, make you think you'd do things that you never thought you'd do, keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay, and make you pay more than you ever thought you'd pay. And some of you are saved in this room. How many are saved? Let me see your hand. You know you're saved. You're saved, but you know there are things in your life that are not right. And God has spoken to you tonight and called you to repent. If that's you, get up out of your seat and come find a place at this altar right now and get on your knees. Come on, right now, right now, right now, from all over this place. You better not play around with God. If you're a Christian and there are things in your life that are not right, you better find a place you can get on your face before God say, God, I'm sorry. And don't let anybody be down here by themselves. Come and kneel around these folks and begin to pray for them. Come on. Those of you who've found victory and God's helped you, come and kneel around somebody and pray with them. Let them know you're standing with them. Let them know they don't have to be alone. And you're standing with them because we can't make it on our own. We need help. We need people around us to love us and encourage us.